you sit and stare at your phone screen. You even scroll a bit for inspiration. As an entrepreneur, you're supposed to post every day, right? You know you need to post something today, but what? What if you had 30 days with the storytelling prompts to give you inspiration? And best part, it's free. What? These thought-provoking prompts will get your creative juices flowing and help you attract and connect with your audience in a more meaningful way. Designed to be used on any platform from lighthearted posts about your business journey to reflective ones about the why behind what you do, this story prompt calendar makes it easy for you to attract and nurture your soulmate customer so they can convert to sales no matter what your niche. Get your 30-day content calendar now and say goodbye to that blank page stare. Go to www.thenickdemas.com forward slash 30-day calendar to get yours free. This is the Creative Soulpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Demas. Let's go. Welcome or welcome back to the podcast. If this is the first time you're listening, I want to thank you so much for being here. And if this is the 120-something time that you're listening, I really want to thank you for being here because I know that there are a lot of podcast options out there. And for you to spend some time with me today is truly an honor. And speaking of an honor, there's somebody here today that is the guest that it will be your honor to hear this because he is a special human being and it is an honor for me to have him on the podcast. Peter, welcome to the show. Oh, wow. What an introduction. Expectation set very high. <laughs> well, no, here's the thank thing you so much. about you. I can set that expectation high because I know the kind of human that you are and what you can bring to the table. And so, you know, I, I kind of like set you up here now. You got, got to deliver. No pressure or nothing. Oh, right. I mean, yeah. Pressure's on. on. <laughs> so no, no pressure, that. truly. But we met in a coaching container, mastermind that we're together in. And we had this it was like instant, I don't know, you know, instant chemistry of sorts, but more than that, it was this like instant recognition yes. of one another. A hundred percent. It was like we were finishing each other's sentences. We were, we literally were. I was like, and we're looking at each other, glancing at each other. We were, going, we were I remember that. I'm going, it was as if you were in my head. And I'm like, how is this guy know exactly what's going on in the the duality the parallels i have never encountered something so insane in such a short space of time with like at the time you were a complete stranger you know so that was it was i have to admit that really blew my mind but i'm forever grateful for it because the ability to connect with you and chat with you is just amazing i love it every time same you know i felt very seen you know, we, we talk a lot about like yeah. feeling seen or needing to be seen or wanting to be seen. And I felt very seen by you because uh, we were just seeing each other in each other. <laughs> I kept calling you the Aussie twin, my Aussie twin. Where's my Aussie <laughs> twin? Because it really was, <laughs> it really was like that. And I think that our backgrounds are very, very different. Yeah. Completely different. After being, uh, you know, lovely hearing yours when you were a guest on my podcast, I was like, wow, what a journey. I'm thinking very different, but it doesn't matter where we come from. Like, but to have that recognition, like you said, was just, you know, it was, it was amazing. And it was, I've, I, you know, I feel utmost it was so important because I think I know I needed it. And I felt like you needed that as well. That's what was so important at the time. Yeah, I needed to know that somebody else was going through the struggle that I was going through. Mm. You know, I think we all need that. We all, no matter what your struggle is, to know that there's somebody else out there that is <laughs> that is dealing with it. I don't know. Misery loves company. I don't know. You know I don't yeah, know no, it's going to say, guys, this is not, we weren't forming a pity party, okay? <laughs> it was, no, but it was just literally, I think it was the more, it was a really unique thing because it was just understanding. And I think it was for us to say to each other, you know, what we're going through, it's okay. Yeah. It wasn't so much like we're looking for like, oh, you know, oh my goodness, poor you no. or anything like that. It was just the case of like, 
wow, someone else is experiencing this. This is actually relatively normal or this, like, it's like, this is okay. And, you know, we all know, and both yourself and myself, we know there's ups and downs, but I tell you what, this past 12 months has been a big one. It's, uh, and that way at that time, that meeting was a meeting you was absolutely divine timing. And oh, that's to me, like I keep saying, I'm so appreciative of it. Yeah, because I think it wasn't a pity party. It was how can we help each other ultimately yeah. because we were both going through transitions in our business, in our lives, and those are sometimes rocky and that's okay. But having support is really important. So I thank you for that. And I thank you for that because it's together, you know, it's, just, it's but I, it's, it was amazing to have. And that's 100% of it's the transition. And I know that for me and for you, we're not people who like to sit in misery. We're not in that space of that poor me. We love, we are solutionists and we're optimists. Yes. But even if you're a listener of Nick's and you're, you're an optimist too, you're going to have some times when you know what, it's okay to band with other optimists and kind of just, and it becomes like a workshop thing. It's like just kind of working and talking it through, just letting that energy move rather than just be stagnant. And I think that was the really big beneficial thing, uh, you know, every time I talk to you, including even now. <laughs> okay, so speaking of background, my audience doesn't know you yet. And I do say, yeah, because they're going to love you as I already set that up. Oh, no, right. <laughs> now we're raising the bar even a bit higher. Even higher. <laughs> Where does the story of Peter begin? So mine is a very, very spiritual journey in its own way, but it really does start back to when I was 12 or 13 years of age. And at that point, I always knew that there was something more. There was this deeper inner knowing of there was something more out there what it was of course at 12 or 13 you know you, you have very limited concepts of what that will be but I remember one specific instance where like I knew and, and as a 12 or 13 you know you start thinking and people say it's your imagination or things like that but I had a moment where the wind would the wind was talking to me and mm. uh, I found that it's like and of course I went going something's going on here it was the beautiful age of you know pre like we're just in those very early days of the internet so i was on netscape navigator for anybody who's in my generation will be very familiar with that one and oh you got old 56k dial-up modem which i got cut off my internet connection as soon as my parents picked up the phone <laughs> all those particular days and you know um alta vista search engine all those good classics but um you know and i went looking and the short of it is i went looking and i found a, a beautiful website that you know, it was talking about meditation and it was talking about how to connect with, you know, spirits. And that night I thought, cool, I'll give this a go. And lo and behold, I was meditating and, and then I was channeling and I was, I was channeling through a form of automatic writing, which is where you put yourself into a, a deep enough meditative state and pen moves on the paper. Now, just so you all know that even when that happened, it scared the living daylights out of it. It was not like, oh, wow, I'm connecting. No. <laughs> yeah, Pen went this way. Pen went that way. <laughs> At 12 years old, what's the response? Yeah, it was, but it was just like this massive, like, oh, my, this works. Oh, my God, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. Mm. And it was like 2 a.m. in the morning. And it was just like, all I wanted to do was tell someone. And of course, I was like, oh, my parents are right next door. I'm thinking, no, they're not going to be appreciated being woken up at 2 a.m. and told about, uh, you know, um, automatic writing, which they didn't even know what it was. But at that moment, too, I was very, very fortunate because it was, I've never forgotten it. In that moment, I had a beautiful voice, very, very calm, but also kind of stern, just in my head, loud as day, not my own voice, just said, sit down and finish. Mm. And through that, it was like, and it did, like, it was just, this is a wave of calm that came over me. I collected my pen from one side of the room, the pad from the other, and sat down. And I finished all that channeling. And, you know, now looking back on it, I had a beautiful communication with a couple of spirits that night. And so that's what started the journey. And I've always had an interest. No one in my family knows any of this. I did talk to my family the morning after of that. I'm pretty sure they were just giving me the whole... 
Sure, Pete. Good, good, good. I'm, I'm. They're kind of like, when do we call the doctor on this one? Well, you know, oftentimes it skips a generation. Yes, again, yeah. Was there anybody in your family, or were you the first to really tap into these gifts? As far as I'm aware, I'm the first one. My father did mention briefly about how his father, so my grandfather, I didn't get to, I didn't know him. He passed mm-hmm. before I was born. He would talk about how highly intuitive he was. He was a farmer, but he was highly intuitive, and he'd tell me stories about like you know when he would sit at the table and they're having dinner, and he'd just look at my dad and say, "Greg." The horses are out. You got to go get the horses. And he's like, "What do you mean? Like we're eating dinner?" And sure enough, you know, you know, whatever else. But who knows? Like, but again, sometimes we look at it in different layers or yeah. different kind of levels. I don't like to use levels, but you know, intuition. Like he was very connected. Oh, most farmers are are very connected to their land and very to nature. That sure. Way. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, kind of taking it more energetic in terms of just working with energy, like I don't have any recollection of anyone. So I don't have any of the, you know, lovely quirky aunties or grandmothers that were doing tea leaf readings, or I have none of that. This was a massive journey of self-discovery. I found this one on my own. I taught myself the tarot by the time I was 16. And by the time I was 17, I had like friends of friends sitting in front of me to do little readings for them. And then I had their parents coming for a reading that was really weird because I didn't know any of them, but that's how it all kind of started. And the journey's, you know, gone from there. It's been a very spiritual one, but I'm actually a teacher by trade. So that's where it kind of took a bit of a turn. Very similar to yours, like uh, at the time, you know, 2001 was a big year for a lot of people, as we know. Uh, of course, we had uh, September 11 which was huge because I had a massive impact. My father worked for the one of the big airlines here. They collapsed not long after because of that. And we also lost our grandmother. So it was a really big end of the year of 2001, big shakeup. From there, my parents had to move overseas. That was fine because I was, I was a bit old by then. And I decided to go to the Air Force because I have a massive love of aircraft. Uh, that runs in our family's veins. Went to the Air Force. Let's just, long story short there, didn't work out for numerous reasons uh that was a hard pill to swallow because that was my first real sense of not succeeding at something but i now look back on that and go i was so not into that (laughs) so like i'm being like now i can look back and be honest with myself going did i really apply myself uh no so it's one of those things and that led me to japan i went and taught over in japan for well i was planning to travel the world and within three months, I met a beautiful lady, and she is now my lovely wife to my two beautiful children, and we're now back here. And yeah, the rest is kind of history, as they say. So it's kind of led me there. So what did you teach? I was teaching English. English. Yes, I, I was teaching English, uh, which a lot of people did back then. It was a lot of it was a big uh, thing. But yeah, I was teaching English over there, and I was teaching English to all ages. I love it. I I love teaching. I'm a teacher by trade. But obviously, I just didn't realize I'd be teaching people non-school subjects. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that th- I think that that's not uncommon, right? That we think yeah. that you know, I th- yeah. when I was a little kid, I would have school classroom. I would be the teacher and have school classroom where I, I would have the neighborhood, too. you know, have the neighborhoods come over, I right? Did that too. Yeah. And so yeah. I was this natural teacher for whatever reason. I pre- played teacher, but I was actually teaching them even yeah. then. And, you know, then I tried some dance teaching and yoga teaching, but ultimately it was never going to be like in a classroom, like a regular teacher, that regular, whatever that means, but that wasn't (laughs) going to be the case. The teacher by societies, you know, when you say teacher, they think of classroom. Yeah. In terms of like, you know, mainstream schooling. But I want to go back for a second to that failure that you had, that quote unquote failure of getting yourself into a situation that really wasn't right for you. Mm-hmm. and failing. Mm-hmm. What did you learn from that failure? Uh, looking back on it, I won't lie, at the time, it really stung. It stung. That one stayed with me for a numerous amount of years. So that was a really big one. To me, when I originally went through that, I have to admit, for the first probably three, four, five years, it felt like unfinished business. I have a 
I don't know where it really comes from, but you know, people who know me, like I don't like being told no, that's where I get a lot of my drive from. It's like, yeah. you won't ever do that. You won't get people for that. I'm like, you watch me. Um, <laughs> so I have a bit of a drive in that sense. But of course, when, you know, Air Force is government and then, you know, they, they shut the door on you, you, it doesn't matter how much you bang on that door. They're, they're not, you're not going to knock that one down. But it was a big sense of like, I felt like unfinished business, but also I made, I'll be honest at that time, because everything changed, I made a move that I thought, well, this will kind of satisfy the need that I need. My family needs everything. So it felt right because I'm like, there's an interest there, but it just wasn't meant to be in the learnings of it. It's just, like I said, the biggest thing I've really learned is I now look back on it and I can honestly say my heart wasn't in it. Mm. And like to another point, I felt like I was actually there for someone else because at the time that I got kicked off the training, another very good friend of mine, um, he was one course ahead of me at the time and he went a little bit further, but in this situation being the way they were, when you really do something wrong, like they isolate you, they treat you as like almost a radioactive isotope that needs to be removed the furthest place from, from everyone else in case you are going to, you know, contaminate everyone else. Mm -hmm. So you get really iced in that sense. And the hardest part was like, I watched him and it was his dream. Yeah. It was his childhood dream and it was coming crashing down. He was so angry. Like I watched him so many times and like he was thumping stuff. He was just angry. And, you know, we were just going through this together. So it was almost like, I don't know how to describe it. I almost found my role as I've just got to help him. Like, don't worry. And it made me realize I'm not too upset about it. Like, mm -hmm. cause it's not my dream. Uh, for him, and that's when I just realized for him, it was it was absolutely devastating. Of course, it hurts. I'm like, you know, because people start looking at you and they're going, oh, you didn't pass, you failed. And that is, you either pass or fail in that environment, and that's how people will see you. So we talk about, oh, try not to judge and all this. But in that environment, boom, it is black and white. You are judged for that. So I've learned, learned a lot out of that. And it's also, like I said, the biggest thing is going right we're making decisions especially like i was very much younger at that time i was like 18 turning 19 so i was still quite young but even in that point you know i look back and going that's still a career move and i look at that and go i wasn't really going with what was with my heart i wasn't going with what was exciting me Wow. I went with a very logical decision. I went with a decision and I made the decision based on what I thought would satisfy everyone around me and myself at the same time, because my parents were worried about me because like I've literally just finished school. What are they going to do? They're moving overseas. We don't really want to leave you here by yourself. My, my older siblings are out doing their thing in different places. So it was just like, what are we going to do with Pete? And that's where it's like, but it's like, cool, I'll do this. And that way I've got this job. It leads me into a field that I want. And I just, that's what I thought. And so I made that decision based on logic rather than paying attention to of like, is this something that I really want? I don't hold myself terribly. Like I don't look at myself and going, oh, you idiot. It's more the case of like, wow, yes, I was young. And I can say that's fair enough for an 18, 19 year old. But if nothing else, I now have a passion of teaching 18, 19 year olds, learn what your passion is, start connecting into that. The earlier you do it, the better off you're going to be because, you know, once you've got that, it's a lot better because logical decisions are good, but there's a whole bunch of other, you know, stories and journeys in there that tell otherwise. Yeah. That economy there is so incredible, you know, this empathic medium child who is now in this very not that for lack of better words <laughs> world it's not that it's yeah. definitely not that in that in that world so of course it wasn't a fit 
of course, that nature mm. of you, that wasn't the right fit for you. You Could you maybe have muscled through and made it work? Or, you know, maybe, but it yeah. didn't. Yeah. And then what I love about this is that if that sent you on that path, without that failure, you wouldn't have met your wife. You wouldn't have gone mm-hmm. on to do all these other things that define your life. Oh, that was huge. Like, even right after that, like... I started jumping into looking for jobs. My plan was I had visited Japan as a homestay student when I was 14. Uh, it was only a short one. It was only 10 days. But I thought, you know what? And I love culture. I love traveling. I love culture. love language. So my thing was, cool, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to teach overseas, I'll just start with Japan because I know the country a little bit. I know the language a little bit because I learned it in school, whatever else. And so I thought I'll start there. Then this is how, like, honestly, some things just work and you can't make this up because I remember I put myself and I put my resume out there to apply where at that point you would dump it in a pool and employers would go looking through them, which kind of made it a little bit easier. I didn't hear anything for months, not even a bite. Then all of a sudden I'm like, out of the blue, there's one. And this sounds terrible when I say this, actually. Because at the time, I got a job offer from a university in Taiwan. I have to admit, I didn't even know where Taiwan was on the map. <laughs> and it's like, back then, I just didn't. I was just like, and I'm thinking, Taiwan. I knew nothing about Taiwan. Wow. I knew, like, I'm like, yes, now I know where it's on the map. But I knew nothing about Taiwan. But they're saying, we'll look after you. We'll give you the accommodation. We'll pay you for this. Da, da, da. And I was like, this is a sounds like a pretty good job. But this is Taiwan. And then... You know, my parents were asking friends that were overseas going, what's Taiwan like? What's the culture like? You know, whatever else. But at that point, I remember I was literally typing the acceptance email and guess who came in for a visit? That lovely voice I had at the age of 13, that same voice in the same tone. And this time its message was, don't settle for second best. Mm. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> I was just like, because it was at that point, like I knew where I wanted to go. I hadn't had anything at that point. Here's my only job offer. And here I am thinking that, well, I better take it because, you know, I've got to start moving and working, whatever else. But then that lovely voice revisited me. I acknowledged it and I declined that offer. The very next day I got an offer for Japan. Wow. And then I got three offers from Japan. And the weirdest part is they all came from the same area. One particular place, which before 2011, no one would know because now everyone does, unfortunately, for the wrong reasons. And that particular area is Fukushima. Mm. It's a beautiful, really kind of nature, a little bit, you know, country. It's not too far out, but it's just a little bit more laid back. It's not super city. And yeah, I got three offers from that area. I didn't like Japan's a big place. There's a lot of places. There's a lot of schools, but I got three offers and they all came from the same area. I mean, if that isn't the universe, spirit, God, whatever you want to call it, knocking on your door and being like, hi, this is where you need to be. I don't know what it is. Yeah. And the fact that you listened, that you really listened, because there's a belief that you had to have had that that voice was real was important, was worthy. How did you have that belief? How did you know this time? Good question. That would, the only way I can explain that belief is because I've had the experience of that when I was younger. Yeah. It's no different to knowing that I can talk to my mum. My mum will understand. My mum will support me. My mum will give me a hug. But, you know, my mum's not going to model coddle me. But, you know, what I mean? like, you know that if you need to talk, you know, it's always that person. If you know you're going through a crappy time, you always have that one person that immediately comes to your head going, I know they're going to be a voice of reason for me. The weird thing for me was there's a voice of reason beyond the human realm here. And the only reason I have that trust or faith is because at that time, Back on that one night where it said, sit down and finish, I sat down and finished and I had a beautiful experience. And my trust in that energy, that world, and at that time, I had no label for it. Mm. It was just literally that I trusted it. And so it's kind of like that good friend that you don't have to talk to for years on end, but as soon as you pick up the phone, 
you know you listen to them. Mm. And that's what it was like for me. It was just this recognition. It was like, just don't settle for second best. And I'm what? <laughs> like, I was literally halfway through an acceptance letter. But that's those really powerful nudges that I listen to. And it is like, I would not have met my coworker. I uh, would not have ended up in Fukushima, would not have met my coworker from America. He was from Detroit. And he introduced me to my now wife. So it would never have happened unless it was that way. And, you know, you want to you look at other little things like, the, you know, the most amazing thing is, you want know the school that I worked at? Its name was called Phoenix. Phoenix English School. And so, you know, like the rising from the ashes, like I've wow. just come from a massive failed thing and now I'm over there. And it was like, I've ended up at Phoenix English School and it was beautiful because where this gets even more important and this is a part of the story that I have noticed that a lot of people really resonate with and need to hear. When I got to Japan, I was okay and I was doing my usual. I was just kind of, you know, finding my way, meeting new people. Then I just came to like this reasoning within myself of like, you know, I was talking to myself literally going, you know, Pete, what are you doing? Like, this is your chance. This is your chance to be who you really are. This is a chance to show people your true authentic self mm. because naturally guys, if you're listening and if you've been on a similar journey, which many people have, you know, going through high school and is not an easy task at any of times, but you start adding on to that, that you're speaking to spirits, you know, you don't bring that up uh, in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. So in that time I was like, I did, I I don't know how I found it, but I love it. I'm so appreciative of it because I was like, you know what? I'm going to tell people and show people that I have this interest in this. And I have to say, it's not just an interest. It is such a part of me. Yeah. I cannot separate this. I am so one with this. I cannot separate it. And that was a beautiful thing because all of a sudden I was meeting new people. I was telling all these bits and pieces and I did. Some people loved it. Others didn't. And I was like, good. I don't need those people because I don't want to have to pretend and I don't want to have to do all the superficial crap that, you know, when we meet up for a drink and go, oh, yeah, here you go. I can't be myself, you know? Yeah. And that really, that I have to admit, me doing that, massive change. I liken it too because I know for a lot of people, their spiritual side is very much kept in the background. That for me was coming out of the spiritual closet. Yeah, I was just going to say that. That is yeah. a coming out of the closet. Yep. You know, as somebody who came out of a different closet, <laughs> I can tell you that that is so similar, that experience. And I I often say I had to come out of two closets. I came out of the one as gay, but I also had to come out of the spiritual closet in many, many ways. And it's it's a process. Yeah. Both closets. <laughs> Our process. <laughs> Can I speak to the one? I, I believe it, but it's, it's yeah, it's, I know you get. But even process, what I went through, right? like it's it is. But like I have, even with that, and obviously being you know working on the energy and having the empathy side. Anybody like whether it's whatever whatever we identify with, you know whether it's going to be sexualities, you know spirituality or religions or whatever else, and it can be whatever it may be. When it comes to that level of identity and being who you are in any shape or form of being authentic self, if you're not there, you're coming out of a closet mm -hmm. and you need to, because until you do, you're never going to be there. Mic drop. Now that's a mic drop moment. See, I told you, you were going to bring it. You brought it. <laughs> no, it was, I like, I know, like, you know, I know you speak from it because when you do, it is as if you, the weight comes off your shoulders. Yeah. And not only that, you feel happier, you feel lighter, and all of a sudden you feel like you can really go out and be in the world as you need to be, and things, the magic starts to happen. It yep. doesn't feel like a hard slog. It doesn't feel like a hard journey. It all of a sudden it feels easier. And look, it is a process. It's, it's not going to always be necessarily smooth or easy, yeah. but the whole thing is if I can – just that one of my biggest messages is always say, honor yourself, honor yourself. And it's a big thing to do it. And like, that's mean, like it is interesting. Like, you know, now 
I look at spirituality and go, oh my God, why did I make such a big deal out of this? But at the time with the people that you're surrounded with, and I was at high school, like I was kind of mixed in between. Like I was lucky senior years were quite nice to me. Junior years, it was rough because I was brand new to a brand new city, brand new school. So that was a bit rough. But so it was just this kind of interesting, like you don't want to make trouble for yourself, you know? I think that's a big part of it. But I also feel very strongly, and you can agree or disagree, Mm. that the world has shifted as well. Oh, the acceptance massively of, of it has shifted. For those of us that have been around for 20, 30 years doing it, we had to inch our way out of that spiritual closet mm. and we've opened doors for a younger generation to to take it. They're like, what do you, yeah, no big deal. Spirituality. Yeah, right. Like it's a very <laughs> different, it, it, I liken it again to the gay experience of like, it was a really big damn deal to come out. It still is, but in a, but less so. Doors have been open because it's shifting. It is yeah, shifting. That shifting. And yeah, I think 100%. That, that, that spirituality has definitely shifted in the last, especially 10 years, but certainly yeah. since you came out of the spiritual closet. Yeah, that was 2004. So we, oh, all, remember yeah. the, we all remember the year we come out of a closet. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, because it is, it's, it's such a pivotal moment for ourselves and it's emotionally freeing. And that's why we do remember it. But you know, it is like I, you know, it's, it is a generational thing and it is like it has shifted. Like I love, oh, God bless my mentor. Um, you know, she's like, you don't know how easy you've got it. You've got the internet. Like we are, I had to get my tarot deck off the black market. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she goes, we were going to be like prosecuted if we were found with this stuff. It had to be imported from overseas on the black yeah. market. You know, so uh, it's, it's just quite interesting how it has shifted. And look, I'm very thankful for that because it has become more mainstream. Yeah. Um. And you know what? Like you know, as you know, like the '90s, it was very much still new age. Yes. But you know what's interesting? Who talks about new age stuff anymore? The new age is here. We're in it. Exactly. Yeah. And so for us, everything was like we had like. There's not even that anymore. There is no new age section in a bookshop. It's called spiritually and self development, spirituality, yes. religion, and self development. That is the section in the bookshop. Before it was new age. Yes. And it's like, so it gives you an idea. The new age is here because, you know, our society has lost that title. We've so shifted. It, we're here. Yeah. And we're grateful for it. And look, it's proof we're here literally talking about it and are able to air this and share this with so many beautiful listeners. Yeah, in a way that's very just part of the conversation Yeah, rather than it being the exception to the rule if that makes sense or yeah we don't we don't have to hide this in a secret file no. folder and say hey if you really <laughs> right go off and... we yeah. don't have to put it in the closet you know we don't no, have to hide it. <laughs> exactly so that's when you said the magic started happening so when you stepped out and when yep. you began to own your truth because that's really what we're talking about is ownership yes. of who you are yeah. what happened what began to happen what is this magic Oh, like, no, I had just fun. Um, It was just fun. I had so much friggin' fun. I love the the irony that the place that all of us expats used to meet up, the place was called God's Bar. And every, like, you could, we could walk into God's Bar at any point in time during the week, and there's always somebody in there. It was always meeting up, and it was just a great time. I even got to a point where people in the town actually would come up to the new coming to town and they would say i've been told to me are you mystic pete i dubbed got dubbed the name mystic pete in town and i was like oh who are you and it's anyway so what they didn't realize at the time is that i liked you know all types of spirits if you catch my drift and so sometimes you know as much as they think they're going to get a nice conversation it's like i'd end up having to walk them home you know with a bucket And they go, oh my God, that's, it's like, yeah. So I am one with the spirits on all levels, people, I'm telling you. So, but it's, um, it was just a whole bunch of fun and, you know, and it was just kind of like bounce around. I moved to China. I lived and taught in China for a little bit, uh, lived and worked in Hong Kong for a little bit, but all my, all the while maintaining my relationship. And of course, after a couple of years like that, we ended up getting married. So uh, it was a beautiful thing. And then we kind of made the big move, really settling in, uh, in Japan style. But like, it was just me being me. The, what happened was, I think the real magic about it is I could explore this side completely free of any judgment. Because I owned my truth and I was owning it and I was just being that authentic part of myself, I did not care. 
And that to me, it becomes like, like this massive playground. You just, you just trial, you don't like, and I wasn't worried about anything about career, business, anything at that point in time. It was just a free for all for me to go meet people, have discussions with people, practice some techniques. You know, if I wanted to, you know, do a reading for someone, I did a reading for someone. It was just all a beautiful thing, even to a point uh, where I ended up getting my first ever paid reading in Japan. So out of all places. And I'm in Japan. I got paid 20 bucks for my first ever reading, and it was from a Peruvian gentleman. <laughs> so that it's, there's, a, there's a melting pot. If you... This is how the world works, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, of course, being Peruvian, he was very spiritual. He was very inclined. Of course, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it was um, it was a really wonderful – and that started the whole process. Then all of a sudden, the word got out. That's what I was doing. And it's like, before you know it, I had people just constantly going, oh, can I do this? So it became a, a really good – side hustle but it didn't i didn't see it that way i didn't think of it that way i was just happy to help people in any shape or form you know and it's like i'll own it i was very good at it i'm still very good at it it's just so natural to me i've been doing it since i was 14 yeah so at what point did you go from side hustle to this is my business oh how long did you podcast now <laughs> <laughs> Because that's another, that's the other, so that is a story that is not planned. I had no intention whatsoever to actually make this a full-fledged business or move into, that was not on the agenda for me at all, not in my conscious self. Obviously, good old universe, spirit, God, whatever you want to call it, had massive plans. And so came along the Fukushima earthquake in 2011. I was there for that. My house, which is still there, is only 60 kilometers, which is what, over 25, 30 miles away from that nuclear power plant that melted down. Wow. My workplace was even closer. My workplace is only about 10 miles. So that's not just, it's not just an earthquake for me. It's, it was everything. We had, you know, obviously with our support and friend network and whatever else. So we experienced the earthquake. I've never experienced anything like that in my life. I was I was there. I've never seen the ground ripple like that before. I've never seen houses. I don't know how they still were standing, to be honest with you. I remember I went out in the car park. We were near the library where our office was. And I never forget, there was this pink, like powder pink little Nissan Micra. And it had this old lady in it. She was an Obo-chan with grandma in Japanese. She must have been close to bloody 70, driving, just taking the time. This poor woman in this car, her side, this, the ground was moving that much and rippling. I mean, rippling like a wave so much that her car was literally banging like donk, donk, wow. donk, 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 side to side. And I was like, is she going to be okay? Is she going to be okay? Like, and the weird part was like, you know, it was, it was just, it was a moment that I'll never forget because the alarms that went off and I'm thinking, I remember the first alarm that went off. It was just a phone alarm because in Japan, they were way ahead of the time there. They've got the alarm for the earthquake and you've got about 10, 15 seconds before it hits. But I remember it's 3.30 in the afternoon and you know, it's around that time. And it was just like, beep, 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 beep. And I was like, you know, it was like, oh, 2.11. It was like, I'm thinking, who sets an alarm for this time? Like, what could you possibly want an alarm? Like lunch is finished. Like, you know, we're not finishing till five. And then all of a sudden, everybody's phone went off and the, everybody's phone, I remember watching everybody's face and yeah, a co-worker of mine, you see the son, he just said, he goes, this is the big one. And it just came thundering through. Very eerie. So much with that. So anyway, with obviously the earthquake was one thing. Tsunami was number two. Nuclear meltdown, that's your trifecta. The interesting part was the nuclear power plant was okay with the earthquake it survived that no problem the tsunami was the thing that caused the issues because that amount of water and i'm telling you right now guys that amount of water our local stream you gotta remember how far inland we are our local river ran backwards wow that's how much the volume of water coming in so and then came that following week was hell it was absolute hell it was just constant watching tv is this thing going to blow or not blow this? We are literally talking meltdown Chernobyl kind of level. And all it is is constant. And you've got aftershocks coming through all the time. It was just like, 
on edge. Like you know, you're, just, you're getting tired because your adrenaline can only carry you so far. Cortisol's through the roof, so you're stressed. You know, everybody's our bodies were just wrecked. That's that's a lot of trauma. And my wife is 36 weeks pregnant. Wow. So we're literally due to have our first child. So in a split decision, obviously trying to contact people, phones are down. It was just a mess. But anyway, with that, we made the decision that we will evacuate to Australia because we don't know what's going to happen. They offered we could go down south. We could go to Osaka or somewhere like that. But my opinion was, well, why would we go there? We don't know anyone. We have no support. We're better off going home and we can have that. And so lo and behold, that's what that's the decision we did. We came home and, you know, we got looked after divine. I'm telling you right now, like just the little signs that you get. We got home, houses beside us were cracked. Like, you know, other houses were like missing half of them. And we got to our house and we're thinking everything's going to be in shatters because we had like old glass and stuff like that. We lost only one perfume bottle that big. Like it was small, like out of the whole thing. We wow. didn't even have eggs cracked. And then when I did walk in, we had some loose bricks behind our fireplace to hold the heat and they actually fell on top of the glass of our wedding picture. And I was like, oh, okay, that's going to be nasty. There's about five bricks that fell on top of that. I took those br bricks off, not even one crack in the glass of our wedding photo. And I just, I, I showed my wife, I said, can you believe, I was like, I was in disbelief. I'm like, five bricks fell on this and that didn't crack. I said, if that's not a sign, I don't know what is. So, you know, we, we always cherish that particular moment. But uh, so, yes, anyway, it was that earthquake. It was that meltdown that forced us to come back. And when I came back, of course, no job. I've been away. I've been overseas for almost 10 years. So, you know, the workplaces here are like, you know, where have you been? What have you done? All that kind of stuff. So anyway, so long story short, that's where it kind of, I was, every year I'd come back, I'd see another friend of mine who was also a reader. And I thought, if there is ever a time to get some insight and some spiritual guidance, this would be it. So I managed to reach out to him and I booked in and I went and saw him. He says, oh my goodness, because he actually predicted I'll be back earlier than I was. He just didn't know why. And he says, I knew you were there. I was so, I was asking him spirit for a sign and he goes, I finally got it. And he goes, he held up well, on the front page of the newspaper. He says, I got my sign. You're okay. So it was with us and um, our beautiful baby girl. But I talked to him anyway. He said, look, there's a lady I know. She needs some help at a shop. And that's how it started. I went down the shop. I introduced myself and I started reading. And that was the first time I ever really kind of read professionally. And that started that process of where I am today. There's a deep belief though. Yeah. To be able to step into that shop. It was difficult because again, like this is where the new challenge came. I was reading for Japanese people and foreign people in Japan. Now I can tell you right now, reading for Japanese people is a beautiful experience because they are so open. They are mm. so respectful. They have no expectations. They're just like, please tell me what I need to know. And it's just like, Oh my God, mm. it's so beautiful to read for them because it's like, there's no, like they're not looking for anything. So they're like, I'm just happy to hear what you have to tell me. It's just so respectful. It's like, it's honestly, it's a, it's a very gracious experience. So coming here and having people walk in and go, so, oh, you're kind of young to be doing this. <laughs> I was like, cool. Oh, am I like, I didn't know there's an age limit. <laughs> so, but uh, it, it did like it did. But the beautiful thing was um, even on that very first day, I started working there. The lady uh, of the shop, she said to me, she goes, wow, I don't know what you're doing, but she's like, that's the second highest grossing day we've ever had. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So little signs. So there's this through line throughout all of this, ultimately, that is this deep belief and trust that you had to have and a surrender. Yeah. And this magic that happened every time that you did. Yes. It's nice to say now, uh, but obviously yeah. going through it, <laughs> those not words so easy then. are not the words coming to your mind. I can assure you of that. <laughs> like, you know, uh, in the middle of evacuating, you're not really, going, you've got your government <laughs> calling you going, we've got you as in the hot zone. You need to get out. And I felt like saying in a part of the, no shit, Sherlock. Like you think like you're, you know, you're four days late. Like, you know, appreciate the phone call, but you didn't help me get home. 
but um but you know you know and at those points you're not saying oh yes i'm gonna surrender i'm surrendering <laughs> to this there's I'm magic surrender. that's going to happen after yeah right there is yeah that is the, the furthest thing from yeah uh, of course as we all know yeah but, but that is what happened yes each time i think the difference is I, again, I'm a solutionist. I'm very pragmatic. Yeah. I don't look at this and going, oh, my God, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm like, right, we need action. We need it now. And it doesn't matter what ha- we'll, we'll sort it out. And then we, then you always find a time. And I think it's so true in all areas of life in any part of our journey. There's always going to be storms. But the thing is, you go through the storm you weather the storm and guess what? Then you have time to stop, reflect, to pick up the pieces and then reset your course. And so that's why I don't look at storms as I'm at, why does this have to happen to me? I look at storms. Well, it's something's going to happen. So let's just weather it. And that's why we got here and we kind of re, you know, restocked. But again, it is it, like I had surrendered to it. And then from there though, what really led this into journey where this took us from like, this is like a side thing or I was just enjoying it and learning and exploring to, Oh, hang on. This is becoming a little bit more serious. This is going to start to become a little bit like a business is I started paying attention to the cues that were happening around me. And one of the key ones was, I remember very specifically one day in the shop, one person came in and said, I just need to know, like, is there anywhere where we can go to, to learn this kind of stuff? And I was like, well, no, not really. You don't really want, no, no. Anyway, so that person left. 90 minutes later, another lady comes. Just wondering, is there anywhere we can mm-hmm. go to, to learn this kind of stuff? And it's like, <laughs> I was like, and I looked at the shop owner, Gordana, I was like, oh, and she's like, mm. <laughs> I was like, no, nah, well, we don't, we don't, you know. And no word of a lie, by the end of the afternoon, there was a third person that came in and said, wow, three times, if I have, if I get spoken to or the same message by three different people, I know that's a huge message from, Sure. yeah, I always pay attention to that one. That's my, and so that's how it started. That's how I started teaching and kind of facilitating or uh, what's the other word I'm looking for here. Not really specific, but I just kind of started the process of bringing people together and to, to talk about it and learn a little about it. And it did. And I was so surprised. I've put it out there to a couple of people who came into the shop. But on the first night I did it, I had 15 people around the table. And I was like, oh, I don't even know you, you, you. <laughs> I've got all these strangers coming to my house. <laughs> so I don't know how the interview. But You're anyway, the paid paper. Pretty much. Uh, and again, that was just the sign. And uh, that kind of everything then stemmed from there. And now you are a speaker. You're a teacher. You're a coach. You have a community. It's amazing how listening... Yep. can really shift everything. Listening, pay attention to the cues, like what people need or, you know, those are always things that facilitate it. But I say always the biggest thing though is I love it because I've got a friend, she constantly reminds me, she gives me this slap across the face sometimes because sometimes I dig my heels in. Like I'm I'm human guys. Like I'm not this like, oh, I just go with everything that spirit tells me. I'm, yeah, I'm, very, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very stubborn. I'm very stubborn. But it was at that time, time too, is like that message of, and this is an important one. If you get an opportunity like that, or if you've been presented with something where it's like an opportunity, if not you, then who? Yeah, that is a great message. And I want everyone listening. I want particularly my clients and students to hear that message. If not you, then who? Love that. It is so powerful and it's a reminder. And because if you are even getting to a point of asking yourself that question, you already know you have so much on offer. You've just got to believe in yourself because the people around you are seeing it in you. They're seeing it in you. They're asking you to share that with them. But we go, oh, no, it can't be me. Oh, no, no, I'm not good enough. No, I'm sorry, game over. The game has ended because they're seeing it. They've called you on it. <laughs> so it's already there for you. And that's why you have to ask, well, okay, well, if not me, then who? And like they, there is something, and I think to honor that, there is something that people want from you. Oh, if you listen to that, guys, there's something that resonates 
with each other. Like something about you resonates with them. Whatever it may be, you don't even need to know that detail. The whole thing is you just need to know that it is. And therefore, like you have something that you can give. And if I always say, if as long as you can help them and leave them in a better place than when you first met them, you've done a bloody good job. Yeah, truly. Well, you've done a bloody good job today. You lived up <laughs> to the expectation. <laughs> oh, it, sounded, it felt like a little bit more of a rally, but that's the story. It's a, it's a, let us mean, there's a fair bit into that story, but you know, but it is like there, that's me. It's interesting. Like, you know, it's, it's amazing. I, maybe other people can relate to this. You know how sometimes we think, oh, but I don't really have anything bad in my life. But see, the thing, that's the difference. I don't see anything as bad. I just right. see it as, as part of the journey. But I'll look back and go, you know what? I have been through some stuff. You've been through some real shit, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I have, but it's just like, but yeah, I've been through some stuff. But the other thing too is I've come out of it. I've learned from it. I understand what it's about. And that's what it's now about. Like, I love being able to speak. I love being able to, you know, connect with people. And as they know, but the other thing too is, as much as I'm spiritual, I talk very much on the spiritual side and the conscious living about really being present, not letting your your programs and stuff like overrule you so you can connect more. But the whole thing is have fun along the way. Yeah. Like make it fun and interesting. Like it's honestly, it's so much better when it's having this fun. That's why I get people with most get surprised when they come to one of my events and speaking gigs and they're going, I just wasn't expecting to laugh so much. And it's like, well, if I had told you it was a comedy show, you would expect comedy. But, you know, just throw it in there just as a nice little sweeter taste tester. Well, I had fun today. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. And I know there were lessons on that path. You left like breadcrumbs for us to take little nuggets from. And I really, really appreciate that, truly. Where can people find you? How can they, how can they reach out to you after listening to this? Sure. Uh, so you can just reach out to me. So it's, it's Peter Williams, Inner Power. But Inner Power is my my brand. And it's more about like everything. It's spirituality. It's, it's self. And it's, you know, also about the mind. But the Inner Power, it's like, you've got to spell it a little bit differently. It's I-N-N-A-P-O-W-A. So innerpower.com. If you search that anywhere, I'm all on platforms, all under the same handle. It'll all be there for you guys. And if all else fails, uh, you can, if you want to know a little bit more about the story and some of the spiritual lessons and takeaways that are from that story, you can pick up uh, my book, Searching Spirit as well, because it's all in there. That's my memoir about that story where you can go into more detail about that. We'll make sure to put all of that in the show notes as well. So people can re reach out to yeah. you. Thank you again, Pete, for being here and for being a friend. Oh, truly. No, nah, but really thank, thank you for it. your time. Because I know we're both busy, but I love the fact that we've sat down, we've knuckled it out. <laughs> I know we tried for so long and then finally it actually <laughs> happened when we hit record. So thank yeah. you all so very much for listening. As I said at the very beginning, I know you have many choices and I really do honor and appreciate you. Be sure to tag both of us on Instagram and let us know your biggest takeaway from today's episode. And we'll see you on the next one. Have a great day.